Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right. Because their words had fought no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. now listening to enter vr the podcast on all things virtual reality i'm chris miranda your host and today i'm speaking with ian forrester ian is the ceo and founder of vr playhouse uh a production slash uh vr creation storytelling house that is doing some really 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 fun and creative and exciting work um, one of them being, you guys worked on Archangel for the PlayStation VR and HTC Vive. Is, is am I am I right there? Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. We uh, we worked with Skydance to do all of the uh, in-game character animations um, it, for the comm systems. So that that's awesome. I loved uh, playing Archangel. Um, I think you know my one of my favorite. I'll tell you this: you guys were were successful and helping me immerse myself in that story uh, oh. because I remember, you know, and, and spoiler, not really spoiler alert, but like to anyone who wants to play this game, keep in mind that the beginning of this game is so intense and it's, and it's, and it's driven by really powerful uh, voice acting and animations. Um, and thanks to you guys that that was uh, done. Yeah, well, I, I should clarify and say, uh, Digital Domain did the uh, did the intro sequences. Uh, they we uh, the 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 total narrative package was broken up because it was on a an extremely short timeline. We we did everything in game. So once you're actually in the in the mech and, uh, and you know you have like Liberty and Bulldog and Rambler popping up on the screen and and telling you things. Um, we we created those assets. And um, and and worked really tightly with the the team at Skydance to make sure that they you know everything flowed um, for you know for the for the player experience. It was a it was a lot of uh, there there were it was quite a bit of content because you know as as you know it's a it's a lot of um, it's a lot of stuff in game. Yeah, and it's and you guys nailed it. Honestly, the characters seem to. F- have a sort of relationships of their own that you could tell that they went way back. <laughs> so it was you. So it was really good. You guys really nailed it there. Uh, great job on on Archangel. Um, so hey. tell me more about VR Playhouse. Tell me more about what is it that you guys are up to and and how it came about. So um, so you know VR Playhouse started from the uh, very sincere effort to bring transformational experience. Uh, to digital distribution, I think um, I, I'm a big fan and have been ever since I started working in uh, working in theater in Chicago in the 2000s, um, doing sort of more like avant-garde and, and immersive uh, style uh, performance. 
you know, I've been a big fan of the idea of temporary autonomous zone where people can relieve themselves from uh, their, from their, you know, identity, put it down for a second, get out of the fishbowl, you know, whatever, pick your metaphor. Um, and then, and then go to a, a, a different place to, to find out something about who they are without that story. Um, you know, uh, my co-founder, Christina, is a big proponent of the work of Byron Katie, who asks, you know, who are you without your story? Um, we're both uh, an, an avid attendees of, of the Burning Man Festival, which is another sort of um, large-scale temporary autonomous zone in which you are free to assume whatever identity um, you want. And so, you know, for me, I was, I was very privileged in um in in getting to participate in these kind of events and uh part of that you know part of that privilege was being in this uh, being in this art scene one of the things i noticed was that um it was extremely expensive for people who were um you know not you know participants who who were uh you know who who had to like just buy the ticket to take the ride and I, that always that always kind of rankled me a bit, and, and as a producer, I, I you know there was always a conflict for me between access and and experience, and so I, I remember thinking, especially this is during the time of the um, you know the digital video explosion. I remember thinking, gosh, if I could just do this digitally, uh, but you know I, I guess I can't. Like I'm not I'm not a I don't consider myself a filmmaker. I'm not that's not my that's not my medium. I was a I was an experience maker and a, and a you know, and a performance maker and an environment maker. Um, and, uh, then when I put on a VR headset back in 2014, it was just this light bulb went off. Um, and, and I, uh, and, and with Christina, we, you know, we founded the, the company. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite the story, especially in, in the, I can relate a lot with the idea of wanting to share, sort of places like Burning Man with, with everyone in the world um, because that those experiences, at least for me, when I went, uh, it's always valuable. I've always come back, you know, learning so much about myself um, that, you know, is this something? And so, and so how, do you, how do you help someone detach their story from themselves when you put them in a new environment or when you're trying to convey a new story for them to embrace? Well, you know, to me, it all has to do with the onboarding process and, and how a person gets into the, into the experience, um, you know, to kind of extend the metaphor at Burning Man, you have the gate, right? And that's all, there's a whole ritual there that you go through. And, and part of that is, is about, um, you know, going through a, a doorway or going through a passageway having an experience uh, of intake and then ar arriving into the event changed, right? You, 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 you know, you, you come in, um, you know, your first time you, you become one with the dust before you get in there. And, and this is, this is not, you know, unique to Burning Man. This is, this is a, a facet of every, um, you know, temporary autonomous zone is that there's this, there's this intake process and, and you sort of start to understand that you're in a, suspended reality or in a new environment. Um, and then, you, you know, you, you participate in the experience 
and then uh, afterwards there's an, an integration phase. And this is, you know, this is also the the same wisdom that Timothy Leary had um, when talking about the psychedelic experiences. You know, you have to prepare set and setting, onboard people into the experience, and then at the end there has to be integration. Otherwise, it just exists in, in a sort of siloed off vertical. And I think that that's that's the key because the function of this. You know, I keep on I, I keep on thinking of um, the, there's a James Baldwin quote that rings really true to me with this, and it's uh, it's this identity would seem to be the garment with which one covers the nakedness of the self. In which case, it is best that the garment be loose, a little like the robes of the desert, through which one's nakedness can always be felt and sometimes discerned. This trust in one's nakedness is all that gives one the power to change one's robes. Wow, what a powerful quote. Yeah, and, and to me, the, 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 the lesson of that, of that quote and the lesson of what, what Baldwin's saying is, you know, I, I've, I find, I've found this in, in my life where it's, it's easy to get stuck in loops. And, and you think that the loop that you're in is, is, the, is reality, right? And that is, you know, all, all you know. And it's easy to feel, especially as you get older, trapped in that, in that loop. Because you sort of forget what got you there, and um, I think it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of courage to you know break out of those loop cycles in, in one's life. And um, to me, the temporary autonomous zone it gives a it gives a suspended space. It gives a, a safe space with which to you know experiment with a different loop. I, I, I always I always refer to it as getting out of the fishbowl. Right, you get out of your fishbowl, and you can kind of look around and see, you know, maybe it's maybe that's you know, like you're always in a fishbowl, so you can see like maybe you want to choose a different fishbowl to be in, and and but it's only by sort of getting that distance that you can really uh, that you can really evaluate and start to make moves, you know, start to make small choices to change your life, um, and. You know, this does, it doesn't have to come from a place of dissatisfaction. It can just come from a place of, of, of growth, too. I, I think it's uh, th- this kind of practice has been really helpful to me in my life. And, um, you know, I, I would love to see virtual reality be used to um, enable that for those who don't have the, the means to necessarily, you know, go to the desert for two weeks and, you know, bring you know, a hundred, you know, whatever, 20 gallons of water and, you know, a bunch of food. <laughs> like that's, that's a, that's a luxury experience yeah. for, for, you know, most people. Um, and so how, how do we enable that? I think that virtual reality with its mechanism of sensory deprivation and sensory replacement, you know, can provide that, um, you know, in a way, I don't know. I think float tanks provide that experience, but again, that's a that's a luxury experience, right? So how can we how can we use you know cheaply available consumer hardware to to provide this opportunity for expansion to to people who can't otherwise access it? That that to me is a is a is a is a core value of what we do. Yeah, it seems to me like we now have a tool that is much more effective at thought loop thought loop disruption than um, 
A lot of things. <laughs> and, and, I like that. Thought loop disruption. I yeah, like and that's where I come from. For me, for example, you know, I, 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 someone, I'm someone that suffers from depression, and it helps me to have VR at my disposal when I am getting into those, those negative thought loops, going into Rec Room VR, um, experiencing The Last Guardian in VR, um, are in immense ways or have been extremely helpful ways for me to like break those thought loops and like, you know, not go into negative places. And so to me, it's, 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 it's a therapeutic device. Um, and, and, and I use it to, you know, help, help my mental state and it's great. Um, and I, you know, I hope more people have more access to it in the future. And I think that the things that you're doing, are extremely valuable um, and will be and will continue to be extremely valuable to pe- for people like me and everyone else who's enjoying this medium. So kudos to you, man! I'm really excited for what you're working on. Um, let me ask you a bit more about how you decide to choose the projects that you want to work on. You know, where what do you how do you decide what to work on next? Well, you know, for for us, you, you know, as a as a you know, production company and creative studio, um, sometimes the, those projects are, are given to us, right? Sometimes the, the mission is, 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 a, is an assignment, you know, um, we've done work for a, a lot of major brands. Um, and you know, we always, because I believe that this, this capability of VR is part of its core value proposition. I, I think there's always an opportunity to, enact these values within the content no matter what it is i mean the the exceptions to me are horror uh content and porn content and so we we don't we don't do those um because it's just not you know that that to us is off mission um but i think in in pretty much every other case we can find a way to um enact that value within the uh within the content that we make in terms of the original stuff you know the stuff that we as a creative studio are are passionate about and excited about um you know to us it's about finding a use case where we can provide you know real value through a a transformational experience or through a shift in perceptual lens i'll I'll give you one example so um currently we have a a project that uh we're, we're very excited about it's a transmedia vr powered um uh three-part experience for children uh who are um about to undergo an operation and uh it's designed to relieve anticipatory anxiety and um something is as simple uh the as a as even just a, a site tour um you know a, a a tour through the hospital um sort of given by this uh, given by a character that we've created, um, you know, can provide a can provide a, a shift in perceptual lens because now all of a sudden, instead of you know, there's this context, there's an imaginative overlay of you know this this adventure or this this experience with uh, a, an animated character, a character that's that's close to the the child's existing mythology, right? Working within that existing mythology. To then provide a, a lens to the experience that isn't oh, I'm entering a foreign world full of scary things, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm entering a place that's friendly where people care about me, where my you know where I have this this friend, um, who you know can help guide me through the experience, 
And um, we're we're right now, uh, I you know, fingers crossed. I think we'll be we'll be going into production uh, on this in, in a partnership with a, a Swiss hospital um, in um, in Bern. So, uh, I, you know, that to us is is an extremely like that checks all the boxes. Yeah. You know, and so uh, basically, you guys are visualizing the experience of going into surgery beforehand so that the patient has sort of like a a preview of what's coming and thereby you remove a little bit of the uncertainty and by removing some of that uncertainty you remove some of that anxiety as well is that sort of the mechanism by which it works yeah exactly like there's this part of our monkey brain that every time we enter a new space is 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 ready for fight or flight you know every time we walk into a room we haven't been before it's part of the exhilaration of, of travel and going to new places. You know, you're sort of, you're exhilarated because you don't know what's around the corner. But at the same time, if you're entering an experience that could be threatening, that not knowing what's around the corner, sort of, um, if you perceive it as, you know, if you perceive yourself as being, you know, disempowered or vulnerable, that, that fight or flight mechanism can can really kind of, overpower uh the capacity for rational thought and when you're a child going in for an operation or you're a parent bringing your child in to for an operation you know that can be um it can just exacerbate the entire experience so you know we feel that it not only provides value for the 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 family and the patient but also for the hospital because they just have you know the people will just be more chill when they walk in yeah and and that and that chill can save a lot of time can enable people to make smarter more informed decisions can open up listening and and dialogue in a way that um you know if that if that fight or flight part of the brain is is you know is running the show um it just makes communication a lot more difficult yeah it's always that eternal struggle between the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex just vying right. for who's in charge and yeah it's 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 good that you're um giving tools to aid the prefrontal cortex in its eternal fight against the limbic system <laughs> exactly exactly nailed it so let me ask you a bit more about um sort of your personal workflow where does your creativity come from you know how does the process of creation uh, happen with you you know that's a really good question it's kind of like i, I don't know I, I don't i don't quite know how to answer that it's sort of like asking where where does water come from <laughs> <laughs> like I, i don't know it's like all over and you don't really notice it until it's a, a river running next to you um but it obviously came from So, you know, a much more humble place. Um, you know, I would say for me, it comes from my relationships and from, uh, from where I perceive in my relationships, um, you know, opportunities for helping someone with a problem or, you know, help like like observing what i what i love is is reconciling um the unreconcilable so trying to hold two opposites at the same time to me is a is a, is a very powerful place from which to operate you know um 
I think any any kind of absolute worldview comes comes with a shadow, um, and and the, that space, you know, the space in between um, the thing and its and its opposite, you know, the the the, the matter and the antimatter that that border um, to me is is a very is a very fertile place to to live when it comes to creativity yeah and it seems like it's a great place for VR to intersect <laughs> so yeah right because because you can actually you can you can actually experience the impossible you can actually reconcile the unreconcilable and find new and kind of like it's like, all right, cool. We got we got that fixed. What's the next one? You know, and and really sort of get get even deeper. And so, how do you stay on uh, sort of focus on a particular task? You know, for me, for example, um, my creativity is all over the place. And one minute I want to be working on Unity, the other minute I want to be learning blockchain, the other minute I'm learning AI. I'm all over the place. How do you, you know, sort of stay on point and would you care to share some of your productivity tips <laughs> with me and sure. the audience? <laughs> sure. You know, back, back when I was in, back when I was working in theater, I wrote a, um, I, I was, at, I was running theater companies and, you know, theater companies are, are, are part of the, the nonprofit, you know, they're, they're organized as nonprofits. And so you have to have strong missions and, you know, strong mission, vision and values in order to, you know, differentiate yourself and and to me that that idea of the individual artists you know working through a mission um that that is a really i I think that's a really focusing lens for all this stuff so yeah i mean i i let my mind wander i i do all of those you know i i i'm sort of like running around looking at at you know consensus algorithms and ai and you know all, all these things um that are popping up in the innovation space. Um, but then I'm always, I'm always going back to like, okay, but what are we going to do with it? How are we going to leverage this for people? I think the first thing is, you know, we've really focused, um, we've really focused, uh, VR playhouse to be an advocate for the user. And so, you know, the thing we say is that we advocate for the user on behalf of our clients um, which is a little bit different than advocating for our our clients, you know, mm. um, strictly because it's it's all it all sort of comes down to like the human that's putting on the headset, and and the thing that I always ask of any piece that we work on is what's the mission here, you know, what's the call to action, um, what is the what is the you know the 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 minuscule change or what's the what's the inception point that we are trying to arrive at here and then kind of work backwards from there wow. so so when somebody comes to us and says like hey I want to make a VR piece uh you know and this this is something that happens all the time it's like I want I want to make a VR piece uh I'm I was thinking we could do you know like a like a like a training thing for this, or we want to do a, a we want to do a site tour for this, and I'm like, okay, great. What's the what is what is the call to action on on the part of the user? You know, what's the thing that you want to uh, get the user to acknowledge or or take action on, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then and then you know, once we identify that, then we have something to work with. 
So how do you measure the, effect, the effect, effectiveness of uh, a particular piece? Um, you mentioned you have a particular, you, you set forth a call, call to action, but afterwards, how do you know whether your call to action reached its audience and you were able to achieve the goals that you wanted to achieve? Well, you know, in, in some respects that has to do with, with what the action you know, that's de- demanding to be taken is, you know, if it's, if it's just like, I want people to be more aware of X, Y, or Z, you know, that that's very difficult to measure. If it's, you know, I want people to donate money to this particular charity, then that is, you know, very measurable. Right. Um, but I think, I think that for VR in particular, you know, the, the conversation about metrics is, is really, um, is a really rich one because I, you know, current, the current model of views or hits or likes, et cetera, as, as you know, Chris is completely broken. Um, there is, there is automaton behavior going on all over the internet that is masking as human behavior. And so you have, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 likes on something. And it's really just, you know, it's a click farm or it's a bot army and it has no, you know, but other people can be fooled into thinking that, oh, well, that's, that, that must be popular thought. Okay, so now I'm going to adjust my vision of reality to not be outside the dominant cohort, right? Because um, that's, that's a very human impulse. And so, you know, to me, I, I think this, this, the idea of quantity, you know, a lot of people are measuring VR in terms of, of hits and, and quantity. And to me, that's not the real value prop of VR. I think, you know, rather than this sort of breadth, I think that it's a, it's, it's more of a depth thing with VR. And I, and I think it's, you know, VR is well positioned for the new attention economy, right? So if, if the old attention economy is about hits and clicks and likes, and maybe, you know, you're not building super fans that way. You're building, you know, a kind of an, an an army of people who know about you but aren't necessarily going to take action, right? It is far more powerful to have a much smaller population of advocates who are, you know, distilling your vision and and promoting your mission within their communities because that is how that that is how messaging works in the 21st century. You know, media has has proven itself to be subject to manipulation and i mean even if even if it's not from the you know executive corporate side it's you know i I mean the the algorithms the ai out there you know there is ai out there that can make fake news and, and and videos of people saying things that you could never i mean it is like war of the worlds times a million you know the orson wells uh radio drama that made everybody think that there was you know, that there were aliens uh, invading the earth. The, the reason people thought that is because they, they trusted the credibility of what they heard on the radio. You know, now we have, do, you know, docu-style fiction podcasts all over the place, and, and nobody thinks that any of, you know, any of those things are necessarily happening. Um, and I think that the same thing is going to be true of, of you know, video. Um, right now it has this sort of ultimate... And, and it has in the past had this sort of ultimate credibility, right? It's used in, in court cases, et cetera. But the, the subject to which it's able to be manipulated now is really is, is um, alarming to anyone who wants to rest on it for ground truth.
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, I think in the new attention economy, what we're going to see is, is this idea of, of advocacy, right? Of like the only people you're really going to be able to trust. And I think this is already happening to, to some extent online. Um, the only people you can really trust are, are the people in your cohort, you know, are, are like personal recommendations, word of mouth. Right. And so how do you, how do you get in there as, as a, uh, as somebody who wants to, um, send a message? How do you, how do you sort of, um, in, how do you influence in that way? And I think that the, 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 the way you do it, it's not this like this cynical, like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to give you a value experience and then I'm going to make you wait and watch some ads that are going to message and manipulate you. And then I'm going to give you another value experience. I think, you know, what, what we're seeing now is like, you have to be delivering the value experience all the time. Like that's the only thing you can deliver. Um, and so, you know, in that way, we're seeing like the, you know, the, the ability to give somebody something that they really like food, right? You give them like mental or like spiritual food and that is how you message the mission of your company. And that's how you message the, the you know, whatever you're trying to message. And it, and it sort of goes beyond messaging really towards, you know, to inception. Like you are incepting, you know, this person with an idea that they will own and spread for you. And I think that's, that's the, the, the future of, of, of the attention economy that we're looking at. I see it. And do, do you see yourself perhaps playing a, a game of cat and mouse between the need to feed our, you know, our hungry brains with that food, right? But sort of like, uh, sort of like many things, you know, people develop sort of a, a tolerance to, to you know, uh, after a while, and so, and so, for example, IMAX, you know, when you know IMAX was amazing, but after experiencing after a while, for me, it was just like, okay, this is just another thing, and then VR came out, and you know, and and it was amazing, and it's amazing, and it still is. But it's going to get to a point for me where something else is going to come along that's even better. And I'm going to look back and be like, oh, man, this VR thing, I, I, you know, when I want a neural controller instead. And so, you know, do you how do you balance between that that race to keep up with technology and keep innovating and not being gimmicky, but also providing that value? Well, to, to me, I, I look at the current landscape and I just go, I. I just kind of see how far we are from, from the, the, you know, the, the promise. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about VR, there's, there are two things, there are sort of two, at least two things that, that that means. The first being like, okay, the technology, the headsets, the 360 video or game engine, or, you know, all, all the sort of practical conversations in terms of the nuts and bolts of like, you know, putting something together and, and getting somebody to get in the headset. But then there's also, you know, the virtual reality as imagined by Artaud and, and as communicated by him in his book Theater and its Double, which was, you know, the virtual reality in in his um, reckoning of it, and this was in, in the 1930s, um, is, is reality heightened, 
is you know it comes from this the, the virtual having its roots in the word virtue and and you know the virtue of something being its essence its distillation and so when you're talking about virtual reality you're talking about reality curated and and essentialized and expressed through a lens and i think in that way you know facebook is a virtual reality um you know your phone is a virtual reality uh you know every every lens that you use and mental model that you use to make a decision is a virtual reality and you know to me the 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 sensory the the sensory input of it is is simply a uh, an evolution of the interface and so you know with that we have, we still have like a long way to go and i think that what you're saying about you know the neural interface like that that is that falls in the bucket right that's part of virtual reality so i don't i don't i guess i don't like kind of draw a line around it um in its current manifestation is like oh this is the final extension and this is the thing to like you know double down on etc you know in a lot of ways we're still we're still waiting for the evolution but more than more than the technology i would say it's the thought behind the technology that gives it value yeah i want to i want to keep hitting on sort of the, the future of storytelling because i'm really interested to know to know what that evolution sort of looks like from your view your your viewpoint you know because it seems like you know vr storytelling and immersive storytelling is going to continue to improve but i for me it, it's not very clear what those improvements will look like in the future You know, I know, for example, when Lightfield's Lightfield video comes out and you can be in a Lightfield video, that's going to be a huge improvement in sort of what we're capable of providing in terms of a storytelling experience. But what else is sort of in the horizon that you're paying attention to? Um, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm a little less, uh, you know, right, currently the things that I'm... Um, kind of most excited about well you know i i guess i'll say i guess i'll say this that that to i think to look at the future of anything it, it helps to start you know with the past and that's that's you know such a canned line but um i think it's true because you know if you look at the the past of storytelling like what was storytelling used for before you know how, how did it evolve you know it's really to um to you know align people's thinking and 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 ability to organize um around things that don't exist right so um you know i can tell you uh, you know i like animals can tell stories to each other but they they can only talk about what's actually physically there right like i you know an animal can tell another animal like hey, that, uh, there's a, a tiger in those bushes. Don't go near the bushes, right? And there's a story there, right? Um, but it, it's limited. It's limited to what is you know, perceivable in the sensory realm. Where, where humans differ is that we can talk about things that aren't there. You know, I can tell you a, a story about my limited liability corporation 
and, and that story is a is a you know that that's a fiction but it's a shared fiction and, and it's a fiction we all agree on and and you know we agree on it so much that i can that's a that's a portable story that i can take to a to a court and and have a bunch of strangers agree on right um and so you know i think what we're what we're in this really interesting moment um where public public trust in a cohesive narrative is is fundamentally you know it's fundamentally broken i've i've heard it said that we're in an ontological crisis where we don't even agree on what we can agree on um we don't even agree on what constitutes agreement um and you know to me i see i see the future of storytelling really arising you know in in this kind of fundamental way really arising from uh the, the idea of a trustless consensus and and this is where you know the idea ideas around consensus algorithms and how they can work to rectify this you know this this kind of um this i you know i'll call it a crisis that we're we're currently in um become really become really interesting to me and so and so i think a lot about that actually you know how how things how how we can use a, a blockchain or a hash graph to um identify sources separate uh automatons from uh humans in terms of you know their 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 behavior and their presence on in our consciousness um and you know and and establish some kind of um establish reestablish the agreement on on what we believe uh what we believe to be ground truth yeah cuz i think you're hitting on a lot of things here and uh, you know one of the one of my hypotheses hypotheses <laughs> for why there seems to be this failure this breakdown in um our ability to agree with one another is it seems to me that um human language is unable to keep up with our time um and it seems like it would be it would be ideal to come up with new ways to communicate with each other instead of you know telling you about that cat why don't i just show you that cat in 360 3d you know um and so and, and so instead of me telling you about you know my struggles and my and and, and my worries and my stresses and, the th and let me show you those things you know and, and and see my world through my eyes because i will want to see yours just as much too like and hope that everyone comes to some sort of mutual understanding that we're all a bunch of assholes just trying to get along <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i i think it's really interesting you know that that kind of that i i've been thinking a lot about recently how you know i have whole conversations with people in emojis and there's no like <laughs> oh my god that's awesome if you were to ask me to like write that conversation down in words i'd be like that's ridiculous like there's no way that it can be captured in words and yet there's still communication happening but it's on this sort of in this like sort of sublingual level which you know again it's like jumping out of the fishbowl of verbal language right getting to a a a, a pre-verbal um space of communication and there's a it, it feels like it's incredibly intimate um 
when that's happening. And and I just think it's interesting because, you know, I, I think it's like looking at hi, like hieroglyphs, right? Um, I think it's interesting for, for human development that we've gone from hi, hieroglyphs, which, you know, everybody had a different set. And it was, uh, uh, you know, you know, you had to like spend all this time learning all the different ones and what they meant and how, you know, how it all sort of, how they sort of all inter- interacted with each other and what it meant for one to be in front of the other, in front of the other, to, you know, written language in the Roman alphabet, which I've, I've heard some arguments that that it was um, it was actually a class thing. It was actually like like people who who uh, builders who needed to communicate developed the the Roman alphabet um, and, the, and this idea of a of a you know twenty six characters. That's it. We're going to, you know, we're going to sort of like put them into words so that we can communicate and it doesn't take a million, you know, a million bajillion hours of, of study, you know, and only a privileged few can can do it. Um, and so I just think it's fascinating that we've hit this point where like technology and, and cell phones and this emoji alphabet has allowed us to communicate, you know, has provided us like this prelingual, like almost universal language that's closer to hieroglyphs than the Roman alphabet. Yeah, everyone understands what an eggplant is when you send them an emoji of that. <laughs> it's true, man. I, 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 no one told me. I just sort of, I know what that is. I know what right. you're trying to tell me with that eggplant. Right. Um, so let me ask you about, you know, what sort of emotions do you, do you want to cook? do you like to see people have in your experiences? And, and is there a sort of like a, do you approach it sort of formulaically? Do you have a formula for this is how I get people to experience, you know, catharsis this is how I ex- get them to experience sadness. And this is how you get them to experience inspiration, you know, or how does that whole thing work? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I do. I do have a formula. So, um, so, you know, to start, I, to me, I find exuberance to be the most credible state of of human existence, and so any any time I can, um, and this has been this has been like a mission I've been on since since I was a I was a kid. I remember telling my stepdad like I want to like turn people inside out, um, and and I think exuberance to me is the is the like sort of m- most recognizable distillation of, of that kind of, um, of, of that kind of expression, right. Inside out expression where all the filters drop and, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it's like in a certain way, it's like this thing that like humans crave more than anything, uh, you know, is, is, you know, the achieving an exuberant state. It's, it's that like, it's that like cheer in a football game when, someone scores a touchdown it's a it, it's a gasp when you're you know surprised by something it's a laugh when somebody tells a you know it's like the laugh and, and like the milk coming out your nose when somebody tells a really funny joke mm. um and so in the in the short term like in the short term moments i think exuberance you know cr- creating like kind of these tiny exuberance machines is is a really valuable pursuit um, in terms of making something longer form and like what, what keeps somebody in an experience for more than five minutes or, you know, what keeps them, uh, coming back. I, I, I'm really inspired by David Foster Wallace and, and what he wrote about satisfaction 
and how satisfaction can only come with struggle. And so when I was, um, when I was building plays, I would always say, okay, you're, you're, you know, um, you're basically starting a contract with every single audience member the second that they see your marketing material, right? And this has to do with the onboarding part. So you are making them a promise with whatever image you give them, with whatever text you give them, with, um, you know, whatever, w- whatever they come to learn about your piece, that in itself is a promise. Your, your job, first thing, when they walk in, when they put on the headset, whatever it is, is to keep that promise. Um, because when you do keep that promise what you gain is their affinity and their trust, right? And, and it usually helps if it's like a, like a pleasant promise. Like, hey, I'm, you know, that's how, right. It's, you, know, you don't like get somebody to walk in the building by saying like, hey, come in here. Really horrible things are going to happen to you. No, it's like you get somebody to come in by like, hey, come in here. You're going to experience beauty, right? Mm-hmm. So like right off the bat, give them the beauty, right? Give them the thing they walked in for. Um, and... But don't stop there. Once you've gained their affinity and their trust, then and only then can you present them with something challenging, something that challenges their assumptions of the world, something that challenges you know, uh, the, the dominant point of view. And this, this is something that most, most media doesn't do because uh, a, a, in a, to a large extent, media, particularly um, you know, commercial media, is, is there to reinforce status quo behavior. It's there to communicate what is the dominant paradigm. But, you know, in this model, you can give somebody, once you've established affinity and trust by showing them that you understand who they are and what they value walking in, then you can give them something that challenges that. And because they feel you understand them, they will stick with you through that challenge. And on the other side of it, if you can resolve it in a way that if you can resolve that challenge in a way that respects them, they will, they will expand. They will expand to meet you and have an experience of satisfaction, of like deep, deep satisfaction. And so that's, that's what I look for when we are, you know, when, when building a piece. And, and this is sort of regardless of the, of the delivery system. Awesome. Uh, let me ask you about sort of when you first got started in this medium, you know, were there any assumptions that you found out were proven wrong later on? Did you sort of learned as uh, as you went along that like, oh, I guess this is supposed to be this way instead of the other way that I thought, you know, do you have any examples of or experiences in that regard? I mean... Just so many, so many. <laughs> like times when I was wrong, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, many, many times when I was wrong. Um, you know, I, I'll say that I think one of the, like we're, we're still in such early days where the, the technology is, you know, as you were saying about Lightfield and all these other things, like I'm, I, I've been, I think one of the reasons that, that VR Playhouse has been, you know, uh, working at the edge of, of technologies, like we, we worked with, uh, we worked with Lightfield. We were the first people to work with, um, 360 Lightfield, um, the 360 Lightfield camera from Lytro. And, you know, like one of the reasons that we have taken that position or, or had held that as a value is because 
I, like I'm, I'm used to working in theater where I have my body. I have, you know, it's like the, the audience has their body. They have stereo all the time. They have, you know, six degrees of freedom and then some. Um, and, and I think until like, until we get there, I've just, I'm always feeling like, Oh, I don't, I don't quite have all my tools. Like I don't quite have all the tools I'm used to having. Um, so I think, you know, pushing on the technology to get those tools back is something that's, that's really, that, that is a challenge. But I, you know, I'll say one thing, one thing that I am, that I, that I was definitely wrong about is, you know, those, those chairs that where like you sit down in the 360 video and it moves you around the video and it be, it takes, you know, virtual reality, which I've always been like, Oh, this needs to be an active experience. You know, you need to give people like the way to stand Like they need to be standing. They need to be moving around. Then you need to give them responsiveness and agency. You know, this is, this is all the stuff that I believe, but actually those chairs are really pleasant <laughs> and, and they really do. I, I really think they do have a, have a place in terms of like, I don't know this this middle ground, right? This like this middle ground between um, immersion and you know immersion without agency. Um, still, I think is is valuable in some way. I can't quite figure out how, but I, I know I've had I've had a positive experience in, in the chairs, and, and I didn't expect to. Huh. You know? Well, it's definitely something. I'll give it a second try. Now, let me let me start bringing th- things down to a close. I have one final question for you. Um, have you ever, by any chance, um, tried to act out a play or organize a play in virtual reality for a virtual reality audience? Um, it was one of these these crazy ideas that I had in my mind for a while. What if I can gather a bunch of people and we would all perform a play in VR for VR people? Has that ever crossed your mind or is, has, have you done any experiments with that by any chance? You know, I, I'm I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't. Um, we should do it together then. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a real great idea. I think there's I think there there could be a lot of value to that. Um, yeah, wow. I just like I it, to, yeah, be fun to figure out how that works. Yeah, we could. I remember a, I had a weird experience once with um, I was dem- I was helping the VR chat team demo the their their software to VCs. This was back in the Rothenberg Venture day, so this goes way back. And I remember what I was doing was I was in one room in the city uh, with the VR chat, and I was a uh, stormtrooper. And at the avatar, I was wearing the avatar of a stormtrooper, and so I was sort of this this person that when the VC would drop into the room, the virtual room, I would sort of walk them through the weapons and uh, all the different features that VR chat had. But I would do it acting like a stormtrooper, and I would be like, "The rebellion doesn't know that we have the secret weapon," and I pulled out a magic staff, you know, and and it was and people would you know get into it. It was really fun. Um, so definitely something I'd love to explore more. You know, I, I had I, I, that that experience was sort of my I bit the bug kind of moment. Um, and so any chance I can get to do it again, maybe we can do one in rec room or something. It doesn't have to be super, super hard or super difficult to set up. I, I would love to do that. I would love to explore that with you because that's I mean, that's sort of that that would be the that would be fulfilling the mission. <laughs> that yeah. would be fulfilling the mission. Very uh, cool. Do you yeah. have any final thoughts or comments to bring up before we bring things to a close? 
You know, probably. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, I. I don't. Let's see. What's the like message that I, that I want to leave people with? Um. Uh. I guess. You know, the, there's another. There's a, a another quote that I find. I find really inspiring and and really pertinent to uh, to VR. Um, which uh, is by uh, W.B. Yeats. And uh, and it's, it's, it's about, you know, well, the, I'll just, I'll, the quote is, the world is full of magic things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. And I think that this, you know, this is part of the journey of of humanity, and I think that right now we're at a we're at a real, you know, we're in a we're in a really pivotal moment, and and we can either continue to organize the way that we have been organized and the way that we have organized ourselves, or we can choose something else. And to me, the, the that's there is a much richer path in in a in a reorganization there are there are more magic you know as opposed to i i think like there there's an intelligence out there about where we are and and it's sort of like the you know like like the woke movement you know um and and i think that it's it's impossible to kind of put that back into the bottle. And so I'm, I'm really excited for, for how, how things are going to develop. And I, and I really, you know, I, I really do kind of advocate for, you know, a, 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 a kind reorganization. Um, I think that it will reveal many more magic things as our senses get sharper. Yeah, Ian, I uh, look forward to experiencing all those sharpening sense sense sharpening experiences, so I can so that I can uh, discover more beauty in the world. I'm really grateful that you came on the show, and I'm really appreciative that you shared all your insight on the podcast. Um, how can people stay in touch and follow up with all the cool things that you're doing these days? Um, you know, you can go to at VR Playhouse uh, at Ian Forrester. Um, find me on Facebook. Oh, those are both Twitter links. Uh, find us on Facebook. Uh, go check out our website, vrplayhouse.com. Um, yeah, currently we've been uh, we've been um, embedding with Cal Fire as they uh, battle the, the the Thomas Fire down here um, in so in Southern California, and it's uh, it's I, it just been kind of surreal the the nights have been kind of surreal so um we will hopefully be putting some of that work out there shortly please stay safe out there that those fires are insane i can't believe you're out there (laughs) i've seen i've seen the photos and the smoke is coming all the way 435 miles from la you were getting that smoke here in the bay area so it's it's no joke i wow i'm uh extremely impressed with the work you're doing out there by the way Oh, well, it's. I, I mean, I, I, I got. I got to say, all credit goes to Cal Fire and the and, and the guys who are who are you know who build and maintain the lines that 
the containment lines um, to, to try and battle this blaze. They're really, I mean, they are they are tireless. Like I am, a, you know, I, I would I would sort of I just pass it all pass it all right to them because they are they are actually the heroes. I'm just you know I'm just there with a the camera. <laughs> can you very quickly dis- just, uh, this is tangent time? Can you very quickly describe what you what you've seen? Wh- what does it look like out there? It's like what you imagine Mordor is. Wow. Uh, I'll have some I'll have some more photos from last night on on our Facebook, but you know the 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 thing I guess the the unexpected thing the thing I I, I expected the least was how meditative the experience is at night. You know, during the day these guys work work like crazy to to build the containment lines, and then at night they're they're watching and and they're waiting and. You know, you're you're there, and the world is burning around you. And these guys are just, you know, they're just they're just wa- they're watching it. They're seeing if it's going to jump the line, you know. And and when it does, they 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 mobilize quickly. But um, if things go well, you know, they're 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 out there watching. And so there's this, I mean, it's this incredible juxtaposition of of meditation and um, and and like alertness. Uh, versus what what I think a lot of people think of when they think of fires, they think of house fires in you know in urban areas where it's like it's like a it's like a sprint. And I should say we're we're working with um, the creators of the film Burn, um, and they've uh, through through their work on that film, they have um, uh, secured the the access that we've enjoyed. And um, and I, I remember Tom uh, Putnam, who I'm, I'm out there with, he, he was saying, this is completely different. This is a marathon. And it is. It's like a marathon or a chess game or, you know, uh, you know there, it's, it's, a, it's a strategic game more than a game of brute force. And, and that was something that I did not expect. And uh, I think it's just so, like, it just gives me so much, fills me with so much respect um, for, for the guys out there doing this because they have to be, you know, uh, you know, they have to they have to work smart. They really do in order to to maintain both the endurance and the and the advantage on on the fire. Yeah, it sure as hell is going to be a, a marathon because this is this is happening in the winter. This it's December. It's yeah. it's not supposed to be fire season right now. Um, no, no. So it's very uh, concerning, um, and I'll keep my fingers crossed. Or Cal Fire, and hopefully it'll get contained very soon, and hopefully more people won't have to suffer. Um, and Ian, stay safe out there. You, sir, are, are truly a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality and the real world. Um, <laughs> thank you so much again for your time, and I will catch you on the other side of the metaverse at some point. Thank you, Chris. I look forward to it.